House of Cards. The season six premiere is over, but we are just getting started with recapping another season of House of Cards here on the House of Cards post-show recap. And now, here are the two guys who, unlike the Underwoods, are back together here to talk about the season six premiere. I'm Rob Sestrino here, back with Zach Brooks. Zach, how are you? Hey, Rob. Good to hear from you. And uh, I'm hoping that we don't have the kind of end that Frank and Claire had the end of their relationship. Oh, my God. Zach Brooks. Can you believe it? You and I are back for another season of House of Cards and Kevin Spacey isn't. I know. It's so it's really crazy. Uh, it's going to be a very different season of House of Cards. And, you know, who knew if we were even going to be coming back? I remember when the Kevin Spacey news broke. You know, I figured, all right, well, I guess our podcast is retired. The show is retired and we'll never know the end of the Underwood administration. We'll just have that cliffhanger. And uh, surprise, surprise, Netflix drops us on us in the early November. This is so interesting. And I think that we're probably going to start with sort of like this meta conversation about House of Cards and where we are as uh, we will then be full spoilers about the uh, season six premiere. Uh, full disclosure, uh, not, you know, not a ton to spoil that has not sort of been like uh, widely reported. Uh, no ma- major plot point or twist to reveal here in the season six premiere. But this is just so interesting uh, in terms of the show came back here for eight episodes to finish out the run of course everybody knows about uh the terrible uh stuff that kevin spacey was up to and why he had to be removed from the show but they made the decision netflix and the powers that be at house of cards to continue on with robin wright as the lead here for this final stretch run of house of cards zach are are you are you on board for everything that the show has decided to do uh creatively here going into season six i wasn't sure if they should even continue it when I first heard the news, I was just like, you know what? The show has kind of run its course. I mean, everything going on in the real world, both with Kevin Spacey and just the political world right now, just seems like, is there a place for the craziness of House of Cards? Um, so I was definitely skeptical before I watched this episode, but um, it really feels like they've kind of soft rebooted the show. Um, and even people who haven't watched every season, I think they could come into season five or season six and and get started and watch this season um, without having seen, you know, probably two through five. Interesting. So you feel like that maybe instead of season six of House of Cards, this should be like season one of House of Claire. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I don't think it will be. It seems like mm-hmm. this is the end, these last eight episodes, Yeah, uh, which I do appreciate because I'm I'm glad when they have an end point and they can wrap it up instead of just letting it go on forever like other shows. But, you know, I think that this could have been the start of something new um, and and just sort of make this a house of cards spinoff. That's all about Claire. And then what happens with her? Cause she's a really compelling character and especially seeing the entire episode all about her. I mean, we've seen bits of that before when, uh, when Frank was incapacitated after the assassination attempt, but um, now we have, you know, a lot of new characters, a lot of uh, important players and, you don't really need that background because they've kind of kicked a lot of the, the house of cards background to the curb. See, I, I think I kind of like that more of the like if this was instead of, you know, season six of House of Cards, if this is sort of like the Frasier or Joey or the spinoff with Robin Wright as president here in uh, House of Claire, uh, I think that might be more interesting to me than to continue on with a zombie version of House of Cards without the Frank Underwood character. Because to me, I well, a lot of things about House of Cards, but let me just start with the with the Frank Underwood character. That the whole idea of the show was that you know House of Cards, sort of a you know a play on words where you know he's in the House of Representatives, but also that he was doing you know increasingly you know worse and worse things to keep his power. And eventually the idea was this house of cards would fall. And so it was like we were building and Frank Underwood just kept digging this hole deeper and deeper. And eventually that his whole world was going to cave in on him. And I almost feel like that, you know, five years of building up to the inevitable downfall of Frank Underwood, 
I feel like he got off easy. <laughs> yeah, it was definitely a little anticlimactic, and they are trying to to milk that. I think we're gonna, you know, spend the whole season trying to piece together what happened to Frank Underwood. Um, sort of like some of these shows that are built around like a murder mystery the whole season. Um, you know, I think that that will be an intriguing plot li- plot line. Um, I don't think that we're going to find out in like episode two what exactly happened to Frank or who was behind it. I think it's going to be a long stretch that they're going to milk over these eight episodes. And I'm fine with that. I, I like that that through plot for this season. Um, and we're definitely still, you know, I thought we were going to really be ignoring a lot of of Kevin Spacey's character on the show of of Frank Underwood. But um, he played a huge role, yeah. even though he wasn't there. And you know, especially spiritually, you talked about zombie house of cards. I mean, this really did feel like the uh, the haunting on Hill House of Cards or something like that with all of the mysterious <laughs> yeah. spirits and the knocking. And, uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see where that plays out, too. Frank Underwood's character is definitely still looming over season six of House of Cards. But I, I just feel like that Kevin Spacey had a worse downfall than Frank Underwood. Yeah. I, would you have preferred that they keep the Frank Underwood character and like recast him. Oh, that's interesting. I don't think you could do that either. I I just like, I I think I like that the idea of if you wanted to come back, you sort of like do, I I mean, it hasn't really worked for the Connors, but I I just feel like that starting something new uh, that was Claire centric. I I feel like that maybe that might've been a better way to go than to finish this out because even the stuff I feel like with uh, Doug in this episode, it just feels out of place now that we're, on the Claire centric version of the show. Yeah, I think it's, you know, we're really seeing everybody dealing with the fallout from Frank Underwood's death and his legacy and his impact on them. Um, I actually really like the Doug stuff. I like how uh, Frank's death is, is driving Doug, you know, maybe into madness or, you know, whatever his plan is, but we're seeing that impact on, on somebody who was already pretty unstable in Doug Stamper. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, just in terms of, you know, House of Cards, the show itself, I kind of feel like, is a relic of a time gone by. Because there was a point when this show premiered in 2013 where it really was, you know, the first of a new thing, Zach, where it was, you know, and yes, that Netflix had had the Steve Van Sant uh uh, Lily Hammer, <laughs> which was, you know, the first Netflix original series, but this was the second, and this was the one that was really, you know, the, the game changer where now there are, you know, I saw yesterday that there's going to be, you know, 72 new Netflix original series dropping this month. There's, uh, you know, just crazy stuff like that. But House of Cards came and was sort of like a juggernaut and, uh, you know, r- really like the paradigm shift in terms of the first season of House of Cards. You know, it was must-see TV. And then also, you know, that from the political side of it, then it has just been also completely surpassed by the real-world politics got a uh, hundred times crazier than House of Cards by the beginning of 2016. Yeah, it's it was interesting thinking back to the first couple seasons and even when we first started podcasting about this, um, you know, we really made an event out of season two. We did live podcasts for every episode. Mm-hmm. Um Everybody was talking about season one, season two. I feel like people were still really talking about it. And at that time it was, yeah, it was, you know, one Netflix show every couple months that would come out. It was 2014. And we had Orange is the New Black. And yeah, things were way different. And now, I mean, you can't even think about like the amount of stuff that comes out in one weekend on Netflix, let alone, you know, 72 series in one month. I thought you were going to say in one news cycle. Yeah, that too. I mean, it, there's just so much in the real world, like you said, and on Netflix to keep up with. Um, you know, House of Cards barely moved the needle that it dropped. I don't think I saw a single ad for it. I mean, you and I, we follow House of Cards and we barely knew that it was even coming out this weekend. So, um, you know, I don't know if Netflix was trying to underpromote it or it's just that they have so much other content. They had to get their, you know, their advertising for the Adam Sandler special and for the Marvel series and yeah, everything else that's dropping this week. And then, by next Thursday, they're going to have 
20 new things that are dropping. Also, I think that the timing of dropping the House of Cards, I think that like, oh, thematically, this will be great. We'll drop it the weekend before the midterm elections. But uh, I also <laughs> just feel like that tonally, it just seems to be another thing helping to add to this being lost in the shuffle, Zach. Yeah, definitely. I was really surprised that they are doing it right around the midterms. I mean, just days before the midterms. Um that was a surprising release strategy, especially because this episode takes place on 4th of July. And I don't know when they finished filming, but maybe releasing it around 4th of July might have made more sense. Um, I think a lot of people are really burnt out on politics right now. And there's, I mean, every show you watch, there's political ads, at least you're watching it on TV, not on streaming. So, um, you know, is this a little bit of overkill? Does it, is it hard to even separate what's going on in the House of Cards world versus the real world? Um, it's a lot right now. Also, I think that there is a bit of a tonal shift also where Frank Underwood, I feel like, was a character that we love to hate. I, I think the show made no bones about it that Frank Underwood was a villain, but he was sort of our villain that we were watching. I don't think that the show, especially now with Claire Underwood as the lead, is going to present her in this sort of like negative villain light. I, I almost feel like that she will be uh, presented as the hero of House of Cards. I'd be surprised if she has a downfall. Yeah, I, I well, I don't know. I could see some sort of downfall happening um, because I think she's still going to do some of the underhanded tactics that Frank did maybe a little bit differently. Um, and she's still going to play this game in the House of Cards world, this political game. But when uh when Claire re- grabs that bird that flies out of the wall and has it in her hand and walks outside of the White House, I was flashing back to the first episode of House of yeah, Cards when Frank too. kills the dog. And, and I was like, all right. She says, you know, I'm done with you, Frank. This spirit, this bird obviously represents Frank's spirit. So she's going to squeeze the bird and kill it. Mm-hmm. And I think they even kind of make it look like that's what's going to happen. And then she releases the bird and lets it fly away. So it shows that she's going to have a very different type of leadership than Frank Underwood did. Yeah, Uh, I do think that the show is also trying to, you know, make the comparison of that, you know, Claire Underwood is not Frank Underwood. And without getting into real politics, that I I do feel like that the, the show is almost presenting Claire Underwood as a candidate uh, against Donald Trump. Kind of the other side of that that tactical coin, right? I guess. Where you, um, I, I think that she is almost uh, presented as a candidate. If you are not in favor of Donald Trump, Claire Underwood would be a good candidate to run against Donald Trump. I see. Um, yeah, that'll be something interesting to to watch and track over this season. Um, you know, it, it's it's very hard to be in this House of Cards world and also have what's going on in the real world. And and kind of keep those things separate, especially when you see different situations that kind of cross over, especially in the last season. I was mm-hmm. reading back through some of our notes and our recaps from the last season. And um, I mean, there was a huge plot line with Russia, with um, voter suppression, with rigging elections, um, misinformation. So and I think that that season was written before Donald Trump was elected. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I think it was even filmed before Donald Trump was elected. Mm-hmm. Um and so now this season is all has all been done post Donald Trump, post Kevin Spacey. Yeah. Um, and, and so we're getting to see their reactions to that. Yeah. OK. All right. So let's talk about what's actually going on here in season six of House of Cards. There is a, a lot of uh, threats on the life of uh, President Claire Underwood. Now, we know that Frank Underwood has been assassinated. We presume do we I mean, do we get that officially? No, I don't think we get that at all, because there's reference to the fact that Frank Underwood died um, in bed with Claire, which I was confused about some of that as well. But um, I think they they don't make it seem like it was something malicious, even though I mean, it definitely was. Um, I think, you know, whether it was his liver that gave out because he did have the, mm-hmm. the liver transplant in a previous season or, you know, whatever it was, 
that they say was the cause. And I'm sure we will find out what the public cause was and then find out what the actual cause was. Um, but I don't think it's, we're supposed to think that the public thinks it was an assassination. You know, the timing on all of this is, is really wonky to me because we, sometimes it makes it seem like, oh, he just died. Then there is dialogue later on in the episode that it's been a hundred days since she's been president, but, uh, she did become president at some point in season five. So, Zach, can you just give me the timeline of how much further out are we than the last time we saw the Underwoods? And how long has Frank Underwood been dead for? So I think we are 100 days out from when we last saw the Underwoods. Uh, In the last season, we had the election, which would be in November, and that was postponed due to the terrorist threats. Um, And then there was that interim time where the election was being contested, so there wasn't a president. And then I think sometime in the early spring, late winter, we got resolution on the election. Frank became president, but then resigned at the end of the last season due to all the scandals. Claire became president. And then we're 100 days since that. Mm -hmm. Sometime in that 100 day period, Frank Underwood started a foundation. He worked with uh, these new characters, the shepherds that we met to start that foundation moved back into the white house because he was sleeping with Claire or allegedly sleeping with Claire Mm -hmm. and then died. And then we've had time to have his funeral and bury him, but it couldn't be that far out because there's um, there's that magazine spread with Frank's funeral. So, you know, I would say we're probably six weeks out a month out from Frank Underwood being killed. Did Claire Underwood kill Frank Underwood? That was my preseason prediction. Um, after watching this episode, I don't think so. Although it could be one of those common uh, House of Cards misdirects like we've had with uh, Frank Underwood when he leaked all the information to Hammerschmidt where we don't know who it is all season. And then it turns out the call was coming from inside the house. Mm-hmm. But I I still think we're going to find out it was somebody else. It, it would be fitting that Claire Underwood was the one who killed Frank, but it just doesn't seem to align with what we've seen in the show so far. I do think that Claire Underwood uh, killed Frank, and uh, I thought that the show was actually pointing us to that in that last scene where we uh, saw Claire Underwood say, turn to the camera and say, boy, do you want to know what happened to Frank? Uh, And she talks about, you know, did somebody somebody murder him? She's like, well, that would be uh, convenient. And so... I thought that she's saying to us... And then gives the middle finger. Yeah, gives the middle finger. Um, that I thought she's saying to us, like, uh, of course I had him killed. What, what do you think? This is a coincidence that he's dead and I'm the president? Yeah, I took that to mean, like, almost like what you were saying. Like, his death was a convenience. It was way too easy. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I don't think she was saying that she did it. But she, I think she knows what happened. Um, or maybe her... You know, maybe it's some weird thing where her breaking the fourth wall is actually her speaking like omnisciently. And she has all this knowledge that the character Claire doesn't have. Um, So she knows what happened, but maybe like in character Claire doesn't know. That's interesting. Really confusing to convey, though. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That is a little confusing that she has like some sort of like consciousness, which is able to communicate with us, which knows things that the, the, the Claire Underwood that we're seeing doesn't know it's almost like a claire underwood from the future is talking to us right like a force ghost claire underwood from the future (laughs) just like we have a force ghost uh frank underwood throughout this episode yeah well i guess let's talk about the uh the haunting of the white house here by the uh the ghost of frank underwood is that what we should be thinking like are we going to find out much like the bird in the wall is is there something going on here spiritually or is it all just something that's going to be explained away i mean i can't imagine it's like that the plumbing just happens to be backed up and makes the same sound as frank underwood pounding on the table uh yeah the, if you had the captions on netflix calls it double thud mm-hmm. so the double thud sound was all over this episode uh both in the white house and in doug's uh doug's psychi- psychiatric uh hospital meetings as well mm-hmm. um but i th- yeah i think it's just one of those weird things and i feel like and i can't put my finger on what exactly it was but we've had some weirdness in previous seasons where it's it's like a little metaphysical 
Um, and I can't remember exactly what that was, but I, I definitely have a memory of something from one of the, maybe the second or third season where something happened. And you're like, that doesn't make sense with like the realism of the show. Mm-hmm. So I, was you know, it, was, was it with Claire's some, mom? Some was it something going on there here. when she done, when she died? Yeah, it might have been that. I would have to look back through my notes. Maybe before the next episode, I'll try to figure out exactly what that was. Yeah. Uh, but there there was something where we were like, that's like everything has seemed, you know, relatively realistic on this show. And then, you know, there was some sort of haunting or spookiness. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, maybe they saved this episode for right around Halloween because they wanted the spooky factor, too. Oh, that's possible. Uh, now, I thought that, that it was going to be that there was a bird in the wall that was going to explain it away. But then the bird came out of the wall and then ultimately, you know, the noise uh, continued. The bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. Um, maybe we'll, you know, maybe we'll find out that there are more birds. There's a whole family of birds living in the White House. <laughs> They've infested. Um, I, I, don't, I don't even a bird in the hand in is there, worth two in the bush. With? White House. Is that what it is? Exactly. Yeah, that that would be what it is. Um, and, you know, maybe another bird dropped that ring on Frank Underwood's bed. Yeah, the ring um, is also uh, super weird where the class ring ends up. So, I mean, uh, it, it really feels like the show is telling us that Frank Underwood is haunting the White House. Yeah. And I think that's that's the idea. The spooky stuff is doing well on Netflix and maybe they should have, you know, done a tie in with the house on Hill street and, uh, Sabrina or haunting of Hill house. That was, yeah. And Sabrina, uh, maybe all the haunting of, of Capitol Hill in the same Riverdale universe. <laughs> yeah. I think, yeah. I think, you know, this is how we can keep, keep it going. It could be like a, you know, fear the house of cards type thing where we just spin it off and, and keep the show going. We had this flashback where we saw young Claire Underwood a couple times uh, in this episode. She's sort of like being harassed by some boys. They're cutting her dress. She hides in a barn. At the end of the episode, uh, we see one of the boys is like po- like uh, like trying to look through like a, a knot in the wood to see her. And she ends up poking his eye with a broom. Uh, what should we take from that? So I think this is probably going to be tied in with the new characters introduced in this show, played by Diane Lane and Greg Kinnear. Uh, the Shepherd would be the Shepherd uh, siblings, yeah. And uh, you know, very on the nose name, the Bill Shepherd, who's trying to get the bills passed. Oh, interesting. I, I understand what yeah. they're doing there. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I think that boy that she poked is going to end up being the Bill Shepherd. So he will get poked in the eye. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know if it was the eye or the side of the head. I mean, it looked painful no matter where it was. Yeah. Um, if it was him, it obviously didn't blind him, unless maybe he's got a glass eye and we just don't know about that. Um, but they are, there are siblings that have known Claire for a long time. Yes. So, you know, it makes sense that they were part of this um, harassment. Let me be the first to say that I am not into uh, Bill Shepard, Annette Shepard, or millennial son do shepherd. <laughs> yeah, he uh, he was annoying and he is probably going to play a big role because it seems like he knows how to work the Twitter. And uh, maybe he's behind all of these mean tweets that are being sent about Claire. Um, and he's really trying to de-charm her, as he said. Yeah, I mean, we had everything going on with, you know, uh, Greg Kinnear and, and, and Diane Lane. OK, and that was fine. But once Diane Lane put in that phone call to talk to her son, Duncan, uh, and then we found out that <laughs> Duncan is really like the brains behind this operation. And he's working with the reporter who was asking her about asking Claire about, is she going to pardon Frank Underwood? I was just like uh, completely like, oh, brother. <laughs> yeah. Do you think Duncan is one of those people who every time the president tweets is like the first response after the tweet and gets, you know, 100,000 likes on everything that they post and they post really controversial, uh, either supportive or mean things about the president? I, I, what is he supposed to be? This guy, Duncan. He's probably got a podcast and, um, you know, he's just trying to stir up the controversy and just asking a lot of questions here. Mm -hmm. Uh, Duncan is a a real mover and shaker. And uh, yeah, definitely, definitely a millennial. 
Uh, one of the most millennial characters we've ever seen on this show. Maybe Gen Z. I don't even know how young he is. Yeah, I don't know how young he is either. Uh, it's only 2017, so uh, I don't know if that changes anything in House of Cards. But uh, have you ever seen so many people celebrate uh, 4th of July with the fervor that the characters celebrated 4th of July in this episode? <laughs> So many fireworks and for so, so long, many sparklers. Too, like we, had, yeah. we had Bill Shepard wake up in the middle of the night to get on the treadmill and fireworks are still going off. And that was like three quarters of the way through the episode. And we still have fireworks going off. Yeah. Millennial sun douche that he's there's a party at his house and like the entire outside deck is just all people holding sparklers. And, you know, for a, a country that is, you know, uh, divided and really, you know, not happy with uh, President Claire Underwood. They are really going all out to celebrate the birthday of America. Yeah, there was a lot going on on that 4th of July. A lot of stuff um, going but on. But I don't think we've ever seen 4th of July on House Cards. We've seen a lot of other holidays, um, but I think 4th of July is one of the ones we haven't seen yet. So it was, I liked seeing that, and it gives us a good way to know exactly what point in time we're at as mm-hmm. well. I kind of rem- vaguely remember maybe there being like an America Works stunt on 4th of July in maybe season four, but you know, d- don't quote me on that. Yeah, I remember there was stuff with Labor Day and Memorial Day. Um, <laughs> I'm not and, sure. And Election Day obviously was big. Mm-hmm. Um, although, you know, 4th of July 2017 was pretty shortly after we finished recapping season five of House of Cards. Okay. So we recapped season five of House of Cards in June of 2017. Okay, so they're uh, way behind the eight ball at this point. Yeah, they just got done listening to our podcast from the last season and and now they're celebrating for Fourth of July. Okay, Uh, Claire Underwood is uh, getting ready to send a lot of troops to Syria. Zach, can you reset? What is the conflict in Syria in the House of Cards universe? Why? Why are we sending troops to Syria? (laughs) Is it the this same as the, the uh, areas that was, <laughs> yeah, uh, this was one of the areas that was really confusing for me. And I actually went back and watched part of the season five finale uh, to know exactly where we are in terms of um, of this plot line and some of the other some of the other policy situations going on. But so at the end of season five, Claire sent in a strike team to get Alamadi, who was the ICO terrorist who was hiding out in Syria. Mm-hmm. Um, and they got him and she gave a speech. And it was, um, I mean, if, if you haven't watched the season five finale in a while, like I hadn't, I had forgotten that they had the whole situation room. Um, it looked a lot like when, uh, when we got Osama bin Laden, it was like that same shot. Mm-hmm. Um, so they get the terrorist in Syria. He had been hiding there. And then the Russians had sent in troops to fight the Syrian rebels, um, fight against the Syrian rebels. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think this is this is all kind of tied in with the Russians having troops there. And uh, at the end of the last season, Claire did declare war and said that we need to we need to get in there and take down this tyrannical leader and support the rebels. But was it a just thing that Claire was doing or was it a, like a classic Underwood distraction? I think it was not a classic Underwood distraction, but it was a lot of, you know, there were different parties in the White House telling her to go two different ways. And she decided the best course of action was to go to war uh, to prevent any of the, in, in the when she talks about this this dictator in Syria, they keep showing Frank Underwood as she is describing him. So I think she sees this ruthless leader who will do anything to retain his power as somebody who's similar to Frank Underwood. Um, so there might be some of that as well. But um, yeah, yeah, we're just you know she is in there. She is in there supporting the rebels, and it seems like we're going against the Russian forces mm-hmm. um, that are backing the Syrian regime. Yeah, and you heard this uh, a couple times in her speech, where it's sort of a uh, rejection of tyranny. That's one of uh, Claire Underwood's platforms, right? Freedom, and you know, ties in with fourth of july obviously as well Mm -hmm. and claire underwood gave this speech she ends up sort of like breaking the fourth wall a couple times uh during the speech Uh, did you like how they did that or was that confusing it was a little confusing because she kept talking but then this omniscient claire would come Mm -hmm. in and speak um but you know i'm glad that they're doing something a little bit different than how frank underwood broke the fourth wall we've only seen claire 
do this a couple times prior to this episode, um, once towards the middle of last season when she came on and said that she doesn't trust us. And, you know, she knows that she's known we've been there the whole time and knows that Frank talks to us. So, you know, the relationship between the Underwoods and the off and the relationship between the Underwoods and the audience uh, is sort of that that kind of metaphysical weirdness Mm -hmm. um maybe that'll tie in with the knocking that we hear yeah um although you know it sounds like other people hear the knocking too so it's not just claire who's hearing it i do feel like that the show is sort of muddying the waters on the frank and claire relationship which at times was presented to us as you know the you know great codependent love story of you know she was nothing without him and he was nothing without her and watching this season six premiere you would almost feel like that you know claire underwood hated frank underwood she always hated frank underwood doug talks about you know how poorly she always treated him Uh, i felt like that this was a little bit of a departure from what we've seen through uh the first 60 some odd episodes of house of cards i know they had their differences but at the end of the day you know weren't they always better together yeah and i think that they always found that they had more success when they worked together um and we didn't see them that combative especially early on in the series um and then they were you know then they separated for a while and claire left frank and then uh it seemed like he was estranged at the end of the last season but somehow they must have gotten back together because he was in the white house when he died so you know i think what they're telling us is that uh it's just a complicated relationship and i think they're kind of just trying to sweep some of that under the rug and say okay this is the narrative we're telling you now yeah they did not get along and that Claire was always against Frank and against Doug, but that's not really what we've seen, um, especially in the early seasons. I just feel like the show is trying to, uh, you know, shift, gears uh ever so slightly where i feel like that for a long time on this show i think that part of the what they were presenting was claire underwood she's just as bad as frank underwood if not worse and i almost feel like that there's a shift coming here where she has gone from she's just as bad as frank underwood to no she's actually the protagonist of the story and she is a good person person and we should be rooting for her and maybe she killed frank underwood but it was because he was such a bad guy and she is a hero for us and for our times yeah that that could be what they're doing i think it's still a little too early to tell what her intentions are i was thinking you know just as i was watching the speech part of it like what is claire trying to get out of this is she like frank where she just wants as much power for as long as possible we we kind of always had an idea of where frank's motivations lied i don't know if we know exactly where claire is going with this um and maybe it is that she's just you know she's all about morality and wants to make the country a better place uh but it wouldn't surprise me if we find out either partway through the season or at the end of the season that Claire really is this anti-hero, just like Frank was. Um, And even with Frank, you know, I think a lot of the audience always rooted for him, even though he was doing terrible things. You know, he was the, the Walter White, the Tony Soprano. Um, And Mm -hmm. I would like it if they keep Claire Underwood as this anti-hero archetype as well. See, I, I think that she is going to be presented as somebody who, yes, she will do underhanded things, but she will do them for the ultimate good. Like, I, I, I think this is a fascinating question as we sit here with seven episodes to go. What will be the final note of this series? Because I, I feel like that it will end on a hopeful note for Claire Underwood and her presidency. And I don't think and I don't think that the uh, that the Frank Underwood show would have ended on the same note. Yeah, I would be interested to see how the ending that they came up with for this is different than the ending they originally had in mind before everything came out with Kevin Spacey. Um, And Mm -hmm. maybe the uh, you know, maybe how they intended to end the show was different before Donald Trump was elected and, and that shifted things. Well, I don't even know if they ever, you know, had anything outside of like a cocktail napkin before. I mean, it's been a long time since Trump's been in the picture. That's true, but it just really changes the, you know, the environment for for watching this show. I mean, when when 2014 came around, it was a, a much calmer time in politics and there wasn't, 
there wasn't really life imitating art like it feels like there is now with how much craziness goes on mm-hmm. uh, yeah. in the real world. I, I just think that, you know, Claire Underwood is going to be held up as sort of like this model of see what could be if we have somebody like Claire Underwood. And I just feel like that maybe and it's only been one episode. Who knows? But it's like I feel like the thread of the show has potentially been lost. And, you know, the, the forces going up against Claire are, you know, they might they might stand for this corruption, this money that's trying to get involved, trying to dismantle the CIA and the FBI. Um, no, Claire Underwood's you know, the, against that media character. Right. She's against all of this corruption. So, you know, is is it as straightforward as Claire represents like this anti-corruption government and um you know, she is she's going to get rid of this evil and, and fight off the evil and do what's right for the country. Um, you know, I, I hope that it's a little bit more complex of a story than that, especially with eight episodes. Mm-hmm. So, uh, look, well, let's let's see where it goes. Uh, that I, I just I'm, I'm hoping tonally that we just have not, you know, shifted where that Claire Underwood. Now that we you know we talk so much about color theory on this show, ha- has she become this person that will always be wearing the white hat moving forward for the rest of the series? And is she fighting against the forces of corruption and then only doing anything that's underhanded against the people who are the real bad guys? Yeah, well, I mean, Claire was in dark colors in all of the present day stuff, uh, but was in a white dress in the flashbacks. Meanwhile, um, the Shepherds, uh, at least Annette Shepherd, was in all white for the whole episode. So, you know, is it white hat, black hat? Is it reverse? Who knows? Mm-hmm. I really thought that Claire Underwood was going to smash that bird. She did not. That points to, uh, you know, what you're saying about a more hopeful Claire, a more hopeful administration, because Frank Underwood would have crushed that bird for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to resist uh, doing uh, Frank Underwood. I feel like it's... Uh, it's I know, it's, it's a real shame that, that we had to also retire that Frank Underwood. We'll see. Um, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the, the spirit of the Frank Underwood impression is haunting all of our walls, though. Yeah. Uh, where are we going here with uh, Greg Kinnear? and diane lane are you prepared <laughs> yeah that was weird that like that was uh i know nev campbell is no longer on the show but that definitely re- reminded me of scream and you know uh, what's your favorite Sydney. scary movie so you know maybe there's you know there's two of them there were two killers in scream to spoil the end of scream mm-hmm. for people uh you know it it seems like that is going to be the main antagonist for this season, although we've had lots of seasons where the main antagonist uh, starts one way and shifts midway through. Um, We didn't see any of Jane Davis in this episode, who played a really big role in season five and was behind uh, everything with Leanne and uh, Frank's resignation. And at the end of season five, Jane Davis said she was going to be working with Frank to start this foundation in exchange for influence over Claire. Um, and so she seemed like she was going to be a malicious force. And she actually, in that episode, told Claire that, you know, Frank's liver could give out at any time and she should be worried about his health. And seemed like she was suggesting that she would actually take care of Frank and, and kill him if Claire wanted. So did Jane Davis play a role in Frank's death? Um, it's interesting that they had already kind of teased that out, that there could be people coming after Frank and trying to kill him at the mm-hmm. end of the last season before we even knew that this shift was coming. So if you don't think that Claire ended up killing Frank Underwood, who do you think it was Greg Kinnear and Diane Lane? I think they're making it seem like that. Um, but what I don't understand with that, let me, and- let me just go, let me just go back one, one step with that, where we, we heard Claire Underwood say, you know, my, my husband was working with some very powerful people and he aligned himself with them and now he's dead. Well, it doesn't make it sound like the powerful people would have wanted him dead if he was working with them. Right. Am I crazy? Yeah. I mean, you know, maybe that was that Frank had too much power. Or they knew what Frank could accomplish and they used Frank Underwood to get some sort of access. And then they needed to get rid of that and killed him before they got the access. Well, they have I mean, they have some access and they got the ball rolling. You know, sometimes you know, maybe Frank just became too, too risky to keep around. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he was such a schemer. Um, they had to take him out. Seems like they got, got a little ahead of themselves, no? 
Yeah, well, maybe <laughs> we'll have to see how this plays out with the with the bill that they're working on. And um, <laughs> you got to get the bill signed before you kill Frank Underwood. Yeah. Well, maybe bill maybe then kill. A, you know, maybe it was like an accident. Maybe. <laughs> yes. Bill then kill. Shepherd the bill then shepherd the kill. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I think I think. You know, Mark Usher could be behind it. That actually is my guess. Um, All right. Well, let's talk about Mark Usher. Well, what, what's been your take on the uh, Mark Usher vice presidency? So I had forgotten that Mark Usher had suggested himself to become vice president at the end of the last season. And so I was I just thought he was her chief of staff. And I was really surprised when they kind of revealed that he was the vice president. Mm-hmm. And it. I mean, this would be crazy if this happened in real in real world. He was the campaign manager for the Conway campaign for the opposing campaign, then came on and was like a strategist for the Underwoods. And now he's the vice president. Well, I mean, I don't know why you think this is so this is so weird. I I mean, I I think this type of stuff happens all the time. So, So imagine. So if if Hillary Clinton would have won the presidency in 2016, uh, you you don't think it's weird if she would have made Steve Bannon or Kellyanne Conway her vice president? I don't know why you think that that is so odd. (laughs) These Conways are just all over the White House in reality and in fantasy. Um, (laughs) But yeah, I mean, (laughs) I mean, that sounds like I think a lot of people were talking about that. That was a possibility that could happen. Yeah. People just switch their allegiances (laughs) all the time. You know, there's there's no there's no ideologically uh, there's no ideals or any, you know, anything like that. Like if Mitt Romney would have won in 2012, then he would have made David Axelrod his vice president. Right. Exactly. Yeah. It makes total sense. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Um, so, it, you know, people, people checks don't out. think this is weird, but it, yeah, they, she couldn't have picked <laughs> any, and I know there were other people that she was looking at, um, but you know, it's like people are like, okay, this yeah. was the campaign. I mean, it seems like it's so easy to do negative uh, media about this. You just be like, yeah, look at, she has no morals. If she just hired the guy who was working for the opposition. Well, Zach, you're, you're looking at it through a our current universe in 2018, where we live in in much more divided times than they are in the House of Cards universe. That uh, maybe that this was sort of like a, seen as an olive branch of that. Look, the, the, we see Claire Underwood; she's willing to work with the Republicans. That she's brought a Republican in as her vice president and uh, to unite the country. Yeah, she she reaches completely across the aisle, um, mm-hmm. past the candidates and to their staff. I think that's what the writers of the show would tell you. Yeah, and I wonder if it'll be addressed at all. But um, it does seem like Usher, you know, Usher is doing his power grab as well. He has meetings in Claire's office without her. He's trying to come up with acronyms. So he's doing the important work while Claire is out there, you know, having dinner parties with the uh, with the shepherds. Mm-hmm. And he is trying to work on things that we see him having that meeting. Claire Underwood gets really pissed. Uh, she says, uh, no more meetings without me in my office, Mark Usher. Yeah, he's probably putting his feet up on the couch and you know, mm-hmm. just making himself at home and has no respect for the office of the president. Yeah. Is it just me? Uh, tell me if this is too mean, but I, I feel like Mark Usher looks like he aged like 15 years since the last season of House of Cards. His hair is very white now. Um <laughs> But it, I don't think it was that that different. If you go back and watch the last season, okay. it's not a huge difference. He like, he just, it is only like a hundred days later. Yeah, so. he, he looks like he got like very thin, and and uh, like I, I thought he looked a, a lot older. Oh, interesting. Maybe that's well, just me. You know, hundred days. They say that they say the presidency ages you way faster than, than <laughs> real life. What about so. the vice presidency? Right, even more so. Okay, especially when he has to have all these meetings. Um, but I, I do think we might be heading towards. You know, ultimate showdown at the end of the season is going to be like a Claire Underwood, Mark Usher. You know, that might that might be kind of the final villain for the show, Mm -hmm. Um, which will which will tie back to the first season. If we have the vice president trying to take over the presidency from from the president. Okay. Uh, anything else you want to say with uh, with Doug? You know, I think it will be interesting to see where Doug and Seth go. Um, those are two holdovers from the from the Underwood administration. That's still the first Underwood administration. Uh, that still seem like they are loose threads. Uh, Doug is, you know, has admitted that he killed Zoe Barnes and he even in death, even after Frank Underwood has been dead, Doug still maintains that he killed Zoe Barnes. So he's still doing things for Frank even after, uh, after Frank's death. Okay. All right. 
Zach, anything else from uh, the season premiere of season six of House of Cards? Only seven episodes left in the series. You know, I, like I said, I really liked it. I felt like it, it did feel like a reboot for House of Cards. Um, we've got some background information. We got more on Claire's background. We got, you know, we just talked about Doug, but his monologue about how he came on to the Underwood administration. And, um, you know, he he said that when he met Frank Underwood, he had eight bottles in the back of his trunk and he had drank four of them. And I was trying to figure out what. Like, were these like four fifths that he had drank or pints? I mean, four beers. Like, yeah, how is really he not dead? Like four bottles could be ma- right. Maybe four bottles of champagne. Mm. I mean, I don't know what he could have drank four bottles of. He was planning on drinking eight of that would have had him in that bad of shape and not. Yeah, not dead. Uh, yeah. Like uh, uh, what about like Mad Dog? <laughs> oh yeah uh he's a real constellation in that one <laughs> all right so w- that's uh gonna do anything from twitter i know brendan, brendan fitzpatrick had a couple of questions on uh on the social media right yeah and we have one from matthew eichel too uh and he might not be listening at this point but he said he's really been down on house of cards and didn't like season five even though i think we both really liked it uh and he's down on the whole Kevin Spacey stuff after it happened. Based on this premiere, why should he watch the final season? Hmm. Well, I think if you sort of want to see how it all turns out. I mean, I, I think a lot of us are sort of pot committed here on House of Cards, where, you know, we have uh, put in 64 episodes of work to uh, get to this point. Uh, you and I uh, were sorry, 65 episodes going into the season uh, six premiere. And uh, you and I have podcast what uh, uh, I can't do the math uh, that quickly, but uh, what, 52 of them. So um, it's a lot. Plus a season one recap. I mean, we've done. Yeah. And we've done feedback shows. I mean, we've done a lot of hours of of podcasting on this show. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I think, you know, if you want to see how it turns out, it's only eight episodes. I think there's a morbid curiosity also to how they're going to handle the show without Kevin Spacey. And, you know, the show itself was was fine. I thought it was, you know, a perfectly entertaining 52 minutes of television. Uh, I'm just concerned that maybe we're we're really going to, you know, shift the the narrative and the tone of like, I think that this was a show with a bleak tone. And I wonder if they are going to sort of like, uh, you know, pull a, you know, swerve on us at the last second and turn this into a very hopeful show. Yeah, I I hadn't thought about that until you brought it up, but um, we'll see. I also, well, I mean, I I mean, like maybe I'm wrong about this. Stay, you know, when things stay with their dark tone. But yes. Um, yes. Yeah. And I think I think with this season, too, if if you haven't watched, you know, the other seasons, I really think you could dive in because this does feel like a spinoff. You might be a little lost at points, but it kind of reminds me of the people who watch Better Call Saul but haven't watched Breaking Bad. Mm-hmm. Like you can watch it and still get a lot out of it. You just might miss some of the some of the background that they're talking about. Yeah, because I think that the show at, at the time that it came out was a little bit ahead of its time where I think that maybe people had a more optimistic view of sort of uh, what really goes on in the political machine in 2013. You know, we were sort of coming at, you know, it it was during the Obama administration and hope and change. I think that maybe people sort of like had a a, a little bit more of just sort of, uh, you know, maybe an optimism about the uh, what what goes on in politics. And this show sort of like uh, peeled back that curtain. Now in real life, we are full open kimono nobody thinks that there's anything good going on in politics and now for the show then to come in at the last second and say actually no the the political machine is uh alive and well and doing great under the administration of claire underwood uh, i feel like that is a little bit of um inconsistent yeah um you know at at the time when this show came out we couldn't imagine that anything could be as crazy as what is happening on house of cards uh and now here we are in here we 2018 are. and it's a little bit different okay all right so we're going to come back in a couple days with a chapter 67 recap we'll do a chapter recap all the way through i can't promise that they're all going to be as long as this one was but we will give you something for every single one of these chapters if you want to watch it along with us or if this is some later date in the future and they're they all should be there for you to uh to go through all right let me tell you what we're going to do next okay we are going to thank a sponsor and then 
I am going to talk about the movie that I watched last night, which was called Solo, a Star Wars film or something like that. And we're going to talk about spoilers from Solo. So if you have not seen Solo and you do not want to be spoiled about anything like that. So this is your chance to get out now. But I want to take a moment and thank our sponsor for this episode of the podcast. And those are friends over at betonline.ag, the people who have brought you the Podcast One Sportsnet Challenge, where currently heading into the week nine action. I am in uh, fourth place right there behind the likes of Ross Tucker and Shaq and even Scott Braun, who is in first place right now through the week eight games. Yeah, I, I feel like I need to start making your picks um, because or betting your picks because uh, you've been pretty successful. I've been I've been getting, okay you know, getting in there with Shaq. And- <laughs> I've been okay. So we're reaching the midway point in the NFL and college football season where each game is more important. You've got all these teams like the Rams, the Saints, the Chiefs, and the Patriots uh, looking like the teams to beat. Uh, even the Redskins, Carolina, Pittsburgh Chargers, and Cincy playing a very strong heading into. Week nine Uh, in college football, Alabama, clearly the best team in the country. Again, while Notre Dame, Clemson, UCF remain undefeated, sitting in the top 10 as well. All that stuff is still true. Is that right? Uh, Yeah. Okay. it's uh, yeah. Alabama had a very dominant performance last night against LSU. I don't think anybody's beaten. They write some of this stuff before uh, week, but, you know, before the weekend when uh, things could change. So there's only one place to get in on all the action. BetOnline.ag. Don't wait any longer because we'll get emails from people if uh, if we get it wrong. Use promo code podcast one to receive a 50 percent sign up bonus. That's podcast one for a 50 percent sign up bonus Uh, in the NBA, Milwaukee, Toronto, defending champs, Golden State Warriors, all off starting on a high note in NHL Toronto. Toronto, Nashville, Pittsburgh are off to a hot start there. Boy, what a, what a time to be a Toronto sports fan. Yeah, it's uh, going to be a great regular season for Toronto once again, probably. <laughs> Don't miss out on any of the incredible action. BetOnline.ag. Use promo code PODCAST1. 50% sign-up bonus. Your online sportsbook expert and the exclusive partner of the PODCAST1 Sportsnet. Actually, uh, one, so one other thing that, that I want to talk about. Do, do, do you have a minute for me to talk about? I watched the movie Solo yeah. last night. Oh, the you watched it by yourself or you watched solo? I, I, no, I watched it. I watched solo with my lovely wife, uh, the first lady of podcasting, Nicole. And you I solo not not by yourself. Though. Yes, I did not like it. Yeah, it's pretty disappointing, wasn't it? It was just it was so silly. It was such a I was really excited to see. All right, let me watch what's going on here with the young Han Solo. And, and I felt like it was like, uh, I, I don't know if they were trying to be, uh, you know, Guardians of the Galaxy, where it's like, OK, oh, we got to make this a uh, little slapstick for everybody. But uh, I didn't even feel like I was watching a Star Wars movie. It, it, it was just it was it was very goofy. Yeah, I didn't really like it very much. I uh, saw it on Movie Pass, so I didn't have to pay anything for mm-hmm. it. And I still felt like I, I wasn't sure if I got my money's worth. Um, but so you never, you never spent all these years wondering why his name was Han Solo. No, I didn't really think about it. I mean, I, I actually I did not care yeah. for that. That they, um, you know, I, I sort of like the idea that that that, <laughs> yeah. that was his name. You know, the the that. In, for the writers to come up with Han Solo, that's one thing. But then for a person to say, "Oh, you by yourself? Well, so your name will be Han Solo." Okay, great. Spoiler alert. Right, yeah, that, that was that was not great. Uh, I did like the the small twist at the end, um, which I won't spoil. But that that was cool. That was a surprise. But otherwise, yeah, I thought it was pretty mediocre. What, what's the, what's the small twist? Uh, Darth Maul. I, I like that. I yeah. guess that was not. Uh, well, I was so confused. Star Wars uh, the, cartoon the, is. Well, yeah, I, I had to like go on Google and look this up. I'm like, wait, hold on. How is a guy who died in a movie when Darth Vader was a baby, uh, was a little kid? And then how is he alive now? And then why isn't he alive in the later movies? I thought that there was like, isn't that part of Star Wars canon about how, you know, there's only, you know, only two there can, you know, there's a master and an apprentice and, and there's, you know, there's the emperor and there's Darth Vader. Darth Maul was alive the whole time? Well, not the whole time. This takes place, you know, right when, um, 
when Han Solo's a kid. So like right when Darth Vader started taking over, right? So it's mm-hmm. not that long that he had been, um, you know, maybe like 15 years. But there's a universe where Darth Vader and Darth Maul were, I mean, did they get along? I don't think they knew about each other. and They um, didn't know about each other? No, this was all setting up the Solo sequel where we were going to find out about it. But then they Solo did really poorly and they uh, they canceled it. So we're never going to know <laughs> we're never gonna Darth know? Maul was probably. Well, you know, who knows? Maybe maybe the Star Wars TV show will answer that. You're telling me Darth Vader didn't even know about Darth Maul? Maybe he was working with Darth Maul. Maybe he was in charge. Maybe it wasn't, you know, maybe Darth Maul loses the Darth. Maybe he's just Maul. Yeah. Regular Maul. And all of a sudden Darth Maul can talk. <laughs> Like, I feel like he had a totally different yeah, voice I mean, than, I mean, did he talk? I don't I, I feel like that he was, did he speak in Phantom Menace? Yeah, I think he like muttered. Some yeah, like I muttered. Don't think he like had as much clear speaking as mm-hmm. he did at the end of Solo. Yeah, but it was, but, it was I mean, that, Darth Maul was a cool character. I, I feel like Darth Maul and Boba Fett are like, they're really cool in their lore. And then people are like, they become kind of internet. Mm-hmm. You know, guys, all the people on the internet like, and they're like, oh, they're so cool. But then as they start exploring them more, you're like, oh, all right. Yeah, they're not. They were cooler when we didn't know as much about them, when they were more mysterious. Yeah. And uh, I got to be honest, th- there were so many double crosses uh, at the end of the movie. I-, I don't even know what happened. Yeah, it was like an episode of House of Cards. It was kind of <laughs> hard to keep that straight. It was like, oh, you were really with them. And then I was really with you. And then you really double crossed me. I knew you were going to double cross me. So I double crossed you. Uh, way too confusing. Sorry to say. Did the Kessel Run live up to everything you had hoped? No, it did not. Because that uh, they were, I mean, they're like fighting like a giant octopus in space. Like you, that, that didn't slow them down. That was part of the Kessel Run. Apparently. I mean, he's a great, he's a great uh, pilot. So he could get away from the, from also, the giant octopus, giant squid. I found that all of the gambling and card playing to be very disingenuous in terms of like that, you know, at, at, no, at no point. Like is Han Solo like does he have nothing but is sort of just like betting big like he just is like for some reason he is the luckiest card player in the whole world. Like every single hand is all right. Look what I've got four squares, everybody like, oh, like there's never a point where, you know, if, if he was like this amazing card player, he would come in. He has nothing, but he's like bluffing everybody off the pot hand like 15 hands in a row he has uh the nuts didn't he cheat i'm trying to remember no lando was cheating lando cheated uh, lando was cheating okay lando was cheating han solo just character was great he yeah he was great he was great um but i I don't know that was just uh chewy was fine yeah yeah Mm -hmm. i just feel like this got into the same problem as all the other star wars prequels where it's like okay they mentioned the kessel run like one time, you know, or a couple times in the original trilogy. Like, do we have to see it? Can't we just say, okay, cool. That was something that happened. Mm-hmm. Do we need to see every, every reference from the original series, you know, has to be shown in full CGI detail in all of these prequels. And it's kind of like, yeah, I mean, yeah. I don't know. It's, it's better to have something shrouded in mystery. Um, I sort of have the same problem sometimes with better call Saul where it's like, okay, do we need to know like every origin story? <laughs> was mentioned in in breaking bad like mm-hmm. some things just be a mystery yeah i hear you um i liked rogue one but maybe yeah, that, that I, was I a lot rogue of one my problem with rogue one was was i like was too much into like reading all the articles and looking at the trailers before it came out and the movie that i think was originally shot had a darker ending and was really crazy had some big battles and i think that they scaled so much of that back when they reshot it mm-hmm. so the whole time i was just watching that and i was like well what could have been with this movie okay all right well, hopefully nobody's saying what could have been with this podcast, because we talked about it all. House of Cards, <laughs> politics, uh, Han Solo, Star Wars. Star Wars. We, we, did, we did it all. We did it all, because uh, I feel like yeah. that once, once we talk about the House of Cards episode, then we could really talk about anything. And nobody can even complain that we talked about something else at the end, because uh, you could just stop listening. Yeah, it's it's on demand entertainment. <laughs> House of Cards and this podcast, both on demand. So you, to, you decide. <laughs> so to everybody still listening, uh, you're the best. Everybody that stopped listening, uh, you're fine. And um, we don't like you. <laughs> don't don't say that because somebody will tell them. OK, uh, Zach Brooks is on Twitter. He is at Brooks Z.A. on Twitter. Zach, any, anything else yeah, you want to mention? 
I just don't want people to tweet me the things that were tweeted at Claire Underwood. Yeah, don't uh, do. I don't. want all the support. Yes. All the adoration. I don't. I don't want those mean those mean tweets that Claire Underwood was getting. Okay, uh, we will be back with a recap of season six, episode two, uh, coming up uh, sometime uh, later this week. Maybe you know, probably in the uh, the next uh, you know two or three days. So be on the lookout for that. And that's that'll probably be the pace that we're at. And uh, we will uh, get through the rest of this season of House of Cards with you. So happy to have you guys along the way. You can subscribe to our podcast here on Post Show Recaps at postshowrecaps.com slash iTunes or you could subscribe to our House of Cards only podcast at postshowrecaps.com slash H-O-C iTunes. Zach, anything else? Uh, yeah, can they email questions? I you can email you can, at postshowrecaps.com. You, you can email questions, uh, but just put the chapter title in the in the subject line because then, then you'll spoil us for things and we and we'll be mad. Yeah, I'm trying to not stay uh, or try not to get spoiled on this season because I feel like with only eight episodes, people are probably done already. Yeah, I would but think so. Hopefully people are going at our pace and just watching, you know, an episode every few days. And, you know, I always advocate chew your food when it comes to these on demand uh, bingeable shows because it's a good you move. Binge them and you, you watch them and you forget all about them. OK, it's just hard to keep up. I, I can't keep up with any TV. It's tough to keep up. Uh, and, and finally, Chapter 66 on IMDb. Uh, what do you think the score is out of 10? 12, uh, 1,249 ratings. Uh, 7.8. 5.0. 5.0. So That's I wonder down. how many people actually watch the episode. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like this is this is the same people who got online and gave all those negative reviews. The trolls who gave the negative reviews to the Last Jedi mm-hmm. are just coming on and saying, "Oh, this was terrible." Because I thought this was a pretty good episode, all things considered. Um, it set the stage. Mm-hmm. Uh, it made me excited. I wanted to watch the next episode. So, so you think all of, you know, like stick the, with it. It's only eight episodes. The spacey stands were. Uh, this is terrible. Probably all the Spacey stands and all the people who said, oh, they should have just canceled the show. I can't believe they ever employed Kevin Spacey. Um, well, those aren't know, the Spacey the, stands. There's, there's, no, so, it's the opposite, but they're both sending negative feedback. So the people on, bo- on both fringes, the people that Kevin Spacey shouldn't have been fired and the people that said that uh, Kevin Spacey should have never been hired, those are where all the one-star reviews exactly. came from. So it's like the, the two poles are getting closer together. And, uh, you know, the people in the middle that just like the show and, and are entertained by it, we're mm-hmm. almost getting drowned out by these negative reviews. Yeah. Uh, so one star. On and give it, a, <laughs> give it a full 10 star. Yeah, 35% of the ratings uh, for this episode were one star. Only but uh, 13% were a ten, uh, 10 stars or 10 out of 10. Can anybody give ratings on IMDb? I think so. It's not like Rotten Tomatoes, right? You, okay. Well, maybe maybe, uh, well, maybe, maybe you need 10. to log in. Uh, let me see. Uh, let's see. If I, if I give it. Uh, I, I, can, I can log in. That's fine. Okay. There you go. Yeah, you have to sign in. Okay. All right. Zach Brooks, great work. Talk to you again soon, buddy. Bye. Bye.